Babble, Bullshit, and Beyond, a podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris, bringing you a standards perspective of the film industry and an immigrant's perspective on America. The most fluffy, fun, pop bullshit you can tune into. You got to know when to hold up, know when to fold up, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Today on the show, we have Robert Zuckerman. The acclaimed film and television still photographer who has worked on such films as Training Day, The Crow, Bad Boys 2, and National Treasure, where I had the pleasure of babbling with Robert while we were collaborating on set. Robert was consistently sought after by high-profile celebrities such as Will Smith, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Denzel Washington, and Oliver Stone. We talked with Robert about his illustrious career in the film and television industry. Hi, Robert. Hey, Marco. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing? Good, good. Let me ask you, Robert. First of all, you do you have two um, Skype phone numbers? Because we dialed another one. Yeah, I think uh, I think I do. I just sent an email to you. I first got uh, Skype when we were in uh, London on uh, National Treasure Two: Book of Secrets, and that's the first time I started using it. Oh, okay. <laughs> How funny! So is I, that? that might it might be an old one. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. So that's that's so we should keep this one on hand and not the other one. Definitely. Yes. Okay. I'm glad we looked at that. I can't believe that you did National Treasure too. That's so funny. But uh, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah. I'm doing okay. Like you know, people ask me that, and I always I tell them I said nothing that uh, four million in cash and a box of Cuban cigars couldn't fix. <laughs> and a couple of pole dancing women for you. I don't want to get greedy or anything, but yeah. yes. <laughs> On your website bio, which I find to be really interesting, and, and I love all these guys, it says um, Will Smith calls him Picasso, Jerry Brookheimer, Denzel Washington, and Michael Bay vie him on their film sets. And, um, and Schwarzenegger introduced you to Bill Clinton as the best photographer he's ever worked with, which from what I saw feels right. How does that make you feel? I mean, during those those days and 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 those years that you had worked and at this time people are not calling you know it feels it's interesting just connect can i backtrack a little bit about how i got into the photography and i started it um you know i had uh really delved into photography when i was in college i was i went to um i i started out at boston university but then i transferred in my junior year to uc berkeley and that's when i really delved into photography I've been on a career path or a path of wanting to be a lawyer and uh, I was a poli-sci major, but then I switched over and a friend of mine said, hey, you should try this. A guy who was my mentor, his name is Joel Levinson, he basically said to me, you should check out photography and I really found that I loved it. And um, so I did it basically as a hobby for many years and then in the late 1980s, I had gone to film school, I had wanted to be a director. But um, I never really connected with that. I did a lot of tangential jobs in the film business. In the late 1980s, I was a partner in a very small production company in Hollywood. And there were three guys. There was a director, uh, there was a lawyer slash producer, and I was the sales guy. So I would take this director's reel around and try to get work. And he was a special effects guy. So we'd got like a lot of you know, TV logos and things like that. And um, after a year in business, even though we were making good money and I had brought in some jobs, these guys decided that they didn't like me and they didn't want me in the company. 
And um, it was devastating at the time because I, I basically had no money. I had borrowed money to start the company and put in. And uh, But um, what happened was, you know, it was pre, pre-internet days for me. I opened the Yellow Pages. I found a lawyer, a crusty old lawyer in Santa Monica, who and I sued them. And I actually won a little money. I won enough money to pay pay off my loan of like $17,000. And I had a little money left over. So I said, what do I want to do now where I don't need partners and I get credit for my own input? I love photography. So I just said, okay, I'm going to be a photographer now. And I got some business cards printed. And that's, uh, that's how it all started. But, you know, 26 years later, I look back and I actually thank those guys for screwing me over because it really pushed me into an amazing career. So it's a lesson that I try to, you know, share with students and so forth. You know, often when dark times and negative things happen, it can really be a blessing in disguise. So that's, I guess, that's kind of what got the ball all rolling. And um, the point, I never, um, I never went to be somebody's assistant. I just said, okay, I'm a photographer and just started doing it. And I think sometimes when you make a choice and you commit to something that the universe opens and gives you energy and support. And so... Right from the very beginning, it wasn't enough to really, you know, make a full-time career or, you know, make me comfortable. But right from the beginning, I, I got work. And, and um, so that was it. And, and in fact, well, my very first job as a, as a set photographer, once it came a few months after I made that choice to be a photographer, was in late 1989. And a woman I knew was a secretary to a big TV producer. And they were doing a, uh, I think it was for ABC or Fox, they were doing a new TV show called Sunset Beat. Later on, there was Sunset Beach, but this was Sunset Beat. And um, I went on the set of that. Uh, I, I really knew very little about doing set photography, but I found out and I, I borrowed the right equipment. And um, one of the guys on that show was a guy who at the time had hair down on his shoulders, was George Clooney. <laughs> And uh, so that was my first, you know, my very first job. Um, and my second job was probably the biggest, most sought-after uh, photo shoot in all of Hollywood. It was at the time Oliver Stone was making the movie The Doors. And um, I was virtually nobody. I had, I had maybe, you know, had just gotten maybe one or two actor portraits in my portfolio. I really wasn't anybody, but I happened to know... Uh, or be friends with Oliver Stone's assistant at the time, it was a beautiful young woman named Christina Hare. And Christina somehow wrangled me a meeting with Oliver in the middle of him, uh, you know, producing The Doors. And I don't know if you know, like, on, on you've been on many sets where there's the unit photographer who does the day-to-day photography, but sometimes they'll bring in a, bring in a really big-name photographer like Andy Leibovitz or Albert Watson to do a special photo shoot. And it'll be a one-day shoot that photographer will get paid a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, probably more in one day than the unit photographer makes in four months. Um, so that's the, mo- you know, that's a really big prestige shoot. Anyway, I, Christina, Oliver's assistant, got me a meeting with Oliver, and I went in, and he was sitting there with his uh, producer, Alex Ho, and he looked through my portfolio, which, again, was mostly just my black and white darkroom prints, not famous people. But Oliver really, he goes, he goes man, this guy's stuff is great. And he said to Alex, Hire Robert for the special shoot, which, you know, like wow. everyone, Herb Ritz and Annie Leavitt's all wanted that job. Yes. And I was a nobody. So that was my very second second job in the film business, doing that. And um, I actually pulled it together pretty well. 
on that job. It was, it was an interesting experience. Robert, that's fascinating. I had no idea. I remember when that movie was being shot in L.A. I was in L.A. working at Mirabel Restaurant as a waiter oh. right on Sunset Plaza there. And I remember yeah. them closing down Sunset Boulevard for several nights while they were filming. Yeah. So, uh, so you were there while I was working as a waiter across the, uh, on the well, south I, side I, of the boulevard. And, and I ate at Mirabelle a number of times, too. I love that place. Yeah, it was a good place. George Germanides was the owner for like 25 years. Good burgers, if I remember. They were great burgers. <laughs> they were. <laughs> I had so much fun. I met every superstar in that place, from Sean Penn to Madonna when they were together to Arsenio yeah. Hall. Everybody was there. It was a great place to kind of like land in L.A., and all of a sudden you get this, this A-lister VIP world, and you're, you're in it. And you realize yeah. you're in the heyday. Well, you don't realize until later on it's the heyday of Hollywood at the time. The 80s yeah. and the 90s were like a, a big time uh, for Hollywood, for everybody who was working in the industry. Unlike right now, which is very, very different. But in your photography, in your bio, um, Robert, you say photography as much as possible has become an integration of life and craft. Yes. Through it, I'm able to give value to people's lives and derive value in my own life beyond making a living. And I'm going to say that it probably that means so much more to you at this time more than ever before from what, what I, you know, from what I feel and when I met yeah. your family the other night. I think it was always that way. I mean, um, you know, I was probably went through we all we all go through adolescence and crazy stuff. We want to do this and that. And but I kind of felt early on with photography, you know, you want you want to do things in life that are meaningful. I mean, I never felt like going down the paparazzi route of just doing it for that. I wanted to have to be more meaningful somehow and uh so somehow early on i i realized that for me um i wanted if i wanted to have like good intention whenever i was photographing someone or doing a job with uh, any kind of photo photography project i i came to realize that having good intention somehow comes through in the results and um it somehow maybe makes the world a better place or makes the experience good for people so that's something that um that early on became part of my work or, you know, something that I embraced. Another thing that I realized early on, uh, rather than being wanting to be a director and controlling every movement, like move your head a quarter inch this way or that way, I viewed myself more as a receiver than as a controller. So being a receiver, it kind of creates an openness for people to be themselves and, to, and for the inner to come out in the photographs. And so that's a, something that's been mentioned about my work that people observe it, that there's a soulfulness or that people feel open or able to be themselves. And that to me was important because I wanted the experience for those people to be a good experience and to, you know, have the quality of time be a good quality of time. One of the things that a lot of photographers do in Hollywood is to do headshots and uh, got a lot of jobs for headshots. And I, you know, I always told actors or the people that came over and I would say, look, this is your time here. I'm here for you. And, um, you know, as in movies, when you do as, however many takes you need to get it right, uh, I would say to them, look, if we do a session and uh, you don't you're not really 100 percent happy with the results, come back and we'll do more and it'll be included in the whatever price. You know, I wanted people I wanted to give value to people's lives. That's how it's happening. It's just, you know, it's just the way my theme song on the uh, on the movie sets, Marco, and I'm sure you can relate to this was uh, Kenny Rogers, The Gambler. You've got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him, and know when to walk away. And, and especially, you know, with, uh, with being a still photographer, there's a lot of times it was very challenging to get a thing, so that was it. You know, well, I don't really need this one. I can let it go, and I'll just go to, you know, craft services, need some junk food or something. But 
the portraits. You have so many portraits. I mean, I you know, from John Lithgow to to poor Tony Scott to right down yeah. to my boss, uh, Nicholas Cage, uh, to one after the next and Jeff Goldblum and so forth. It's uh, it goes on and on and on. And I'm going to guess that these are the ones that you selected. And uh, some of them yeah. look like headshots and some of them look like they're in their characters. Morgan Freeman and, and Nick's picture. I mean, it's a great shot. Fantastic is, shot. Is, is, hair, is his hair long in that one? There's two. There is one with his hair long and that's great. And this one's a little almost grittier looking where it's just his face and it's lit on a slight angle. It's just I'm looking at these things and how did they, did you approach these people? Were, they, were you approached by the agents, by the publicists? Well, a lot of the, I mean, uh, for instance, like Jeff Goldblum, we met and became friends. Um, uh, you know, I'd always admired him, uh, even going back from the 70s, you know, to like Next Stop Greenwich Village and his, you know, he's always been someone. And I remember seeing him uh, in like 1991, um, at the uh, Focus on AIDS uh, benefit auction, which was held at the GGA building. And, we, you know, we were like the two tallest guys in the room. So we'd be like cross paths and just kind of you know, give each other an eye look. And then uh, in the early 2000s, I was doing stills on um, this John Favreau project called Dinner for Five that he was doing for the IFC, IFC channel. And, yeah, it was fun. He, he would just, you know, do like a three-camera shoot around a dinner table where he'd invite his friends over. And um, they'd get a little tipsy and uh, and have a conversation. It was great. And and Jeff Goldblum was one of those. And he was talking about, I guess you call it, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Dogma School. It was uh, this, uh, there was a film in, uh, a great film called Breaking the Waves. It was a European, I think a Danish film. And it was about this idea of not having a lot of long time between lighting setups, but just keeping the con- the, the filming continuous with as little pause as possible. And, you know, for an actor, that's something I'm sure that they would really like. So somehow Jeff and I talked and we became friends. And you know, I remember one time in uh, 2004, he invited me over to his house and he said, yeah, I want to do some headshots, but I don't want it to be me looking in the camera. I want it to be like caught moments. And so that was uh, us just, you know, going around his house, finding little spots of light and doing that. But um, also I just became, you know, from my very first work as a unit photographer on film, I noticed, you know, that it doesn't take, it doesn't have to take a long time to get a good portrait of somebody, you know, and, and I just practiced that a lot, finding a good spot of light and just doing something in the moment. And often a lot of these portraits are just like one minute sessions off to the side on a set in, in a nice piece of lighting where you can get something and it doesn't have to be, like I said, hours of setup. And I remember, I remember, uh, I, just a funny story, you know, one, one of my portraits, I think, is Harvey Keitel, who's, you know, an amazing guy. And uh, but, you know, he's 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 been he's been around for a lot. And I remember, I think it was on the second National Treasure. We were uh, at the Mount Rushmore and, and I had this little device that I made. It was kind of a soft light bounce uh, thing with I made with a styrofoam cooler where I could just hold it in one hand and hold the camera in the other hand and get like this really nice studio light look out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I wanted to try it on Harvey Keitel out in the wilderness by Mount Rushmore. And, you know, I, I said, Harvey, could I try this? And he goes, yeah, but he goes, but I'm not going to look into the camera. You know, he didn't want to look into the camera. And so I did a shot and the lighting came in real nice, really nice. And I showed it to him and he goes, goes okay, now I'll look into the camera. <laughs> He's hysterical. I mean, working with that guy was funny. I felt like uh, I felt like we were two Goombas yeah. in a gauge. I mean, I worked yeah. with him and we laughed a lot. And uh, I don't know, I, I really got along with that guy. 
Well, yeah, and, and also, I mean, he's he's an artist and a poet. Mm-hmm. I mean, he always plays these tough kind of really tough guys, but he's really a, a, quite a brilliant, you know, poet and a very sensitive man. It's interesting. I mean, we've we've both had a chance to meet a lot of people, and I've, for me, I've just found, you know, like a lot of times there's the public persona, and then there's the person that you really meet mm-hmm. on a one-on-one basis, and and a lot of times they're really different. Oh, I find that they're very different. Having worked uh, 10 years and, and 20 films as well, just with Nick alone, let alone right. other people, uh, I, I agree with you 100%. Robert, I want to ask you, With did you do all these covers of these films? They were the posters from what I see of Flight yeah. and, uh, and, yeah. and Bad Boys 2 and National Treasure and so forth. It's just one after the next in Terminator 3. And yeah. I remember, you're not going to believe this, but on National Treasure, when he's, you did the poster, which I didn't realize you had done, when he's got the... Uh, the silhouette of the clock, yeah. That was me in wardrobe. And then they put his head on the, uh, on the base of the body. It was my body. He wasn't around for the whole body shot. You know, so they must have done two different things. Well, actually, that, uh, if you're speaking about National Treasure, we were, we were up in uh, Philadelphia, up in the clock tower. Mm-hmm. I was there in the clock tower. I remember that. And, and basically there was this uh, clock that was uh, translucent, but it was letting light in from the, uh, you know, from the outside. I remember just uh, you know, Nick speaking with the actress, and um, I said, hey, Nick, stand in front of that clock and give me a poster shot. And he just gave me that shot. And I, and I photographed him, and it was, it was, it was you know, pretty much a silhouette, but it was cool. And I turned it in, you know, I turned in, like I turned all my work to the Disney people and the creative people. And, and in movies, you know, sometimes they'll do these very expensive photo shoots, but then the po- they'll think the best shot will come from something the set photographer does. And that's how it worked. And so on that one, um, they had done a, f- a big photo shoot with uh, Matthew Rolston, who's a, you know, brilliant and great photographer and one of my inspirations. But uh, I guess they like that pose the best, and that's what they ended up using. I guess because it's a great shot because because uh, I had done the actual poster stuff and it wasn't this, but we had yeah. the same similar outfits on, and there was also one with the tuxedo that I had also done, and then oh, yeah. I saw this, and I was the poster boy for the poster, and then they're going to put Nick's head on the body because he was too busy oh. doing publicity, but you weren't oh, yeah. there, so they must have used that other photographer at the time that you had mentioned. Yeah, so that's pretty funny, and then they used your silhouette shot because it looks fantastic from what I see. Yeah, and it was just, and literally that was like, you know, one minute. It's like, hey, Nick, stand in front of that translucent clock and give me a poster shot, and he just did that. Another thing about uh, me, uh, I, I had been on, a, uh, on that movie, The Temp, which I told you about. It was my first studio film as a unit photographer. Studio meaning big major studio, Paramount Pictures. And I was up there in Portland, and um, they sent the same, that guy, Matthew Rolston, who was a great photographer. He was going to do this you know, special photo shoot. And it was early on in my career, so I was just standing off on the side observing because I wanted to learn from this guy. And uh, at one point, he's photographing Timothy Hutton. And Timothy Hutton, I see Timothy Hutton like storm off the set. He shouted, I'm an actor, not a model. And that was, that was very revealing for me. So I decided then and there uh, things that I would treat all my photo shoots with actors as acting jobs and not modeling jobs even though it was with a still camera, it was still about the things that you have in acting, emotion and feeling and resonance. And, and I felt that that was helpful. And actors appreciated that, being treated like actors and spoken to like actors in that sense. So that's something that was, you know, the learning never stops. Never you stops. Know, day one. And even, even my last job, I always learned. My, one of my last films that I did as a unit photographer was the movie called Flight, 
with uh, Denzel Washington and Robert Zemeckis directing. And for me, you know, I'd been in the business for many years, but going on that film set, watching those two guys specifically, Denzel and Robert Zemeckis, who both came to the table so prepared, I, I say that that job was for me like going back to film school. And, and from what I read that, it took a while for Denzel to warm up to you initially, and then right. it was all, uh, he was lovey-dovey with you after that. So was that the same with Michael Bay and uh, John Turtletop and so forth with some of these other people you had worked with, and Will Smith, for example? I mean, yeah. these are the biggest names in Hollywood. And I developed a, a, a good collaboration with Denzel Washington, and um, starting with Training Day, and then... Uh, you know, I did uh, several films with him and, uh, you know, got the opportunity to work with him again. And then when I heard he was doing the movie Flight with uh, Robert Zemeckis, I kind of, I was living, you know, living in Miami. And uh, I was in uh, Whole Foods, I think it was on a Wednesday night um, in Aventura, North Miami Beach area. And my phone rings. It's an unknown number. I, I answer it and, hey, Robert, it's Denzel. And he goes, where are you? And I go, I'm in Miami. He goes, oh, too bad because... I'm having a script meeting with Robert Zemeckis at the Chateau Marmont on, on Friday. And I said, I'll be there. <laughs> and I got, I got myself a ticket, got to L.A. and, uh, you know, went back. And they're sitting in the back corner going over the script. And, uh, you know, they're sitting at the table. And, I, and you know, Denzel introduces me. And I sit down. And then I just shut up. And I listen to them. And, like, whenever there's a pause, I show Zemeckis, you know, one of my photographs. Uh, that I have with me, and after about the third one, he goes to me. He goes, "Don't worry, you got the job." And then that, and then that, and I just shut up and listen to these two guys and watch them go over the script. And it was such a, a beautiful thing, you know, such a good behind-the-scenes moment. What dedication! I mean, to have Denzel call you and ask you yeah. to meet this meeting. Yeah. I mean, that's a real personal and, a, and a, it's a private moment between these two people. Oh yeah, and and it was really uh, just to me, like I said, it was just being like in film school and behind the scenes. And I have another great story with, with Denzel, too. And, you know, a lot of people, it's, again, you know, people have reputations and, you know, say this, but Denzel's just very focused on his work and very dedicated. And he's a really philanthropic guy. Um, my theme song on the, uh, on the movie sets, Marco, and I'm sure you can relate to this, was uh, Kenny Rogers, The Gambler. Uh. <laughs> I know when to hold you got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him, and know when to walk away. Yeah. And, and especially... You know, with uh, with being a still photographer, there's a lot of times it was very challenging to get a thing. So that was it. You know, well, I don't really need this one. I can let it go, and I just go to, you know, craft services, need some junk food or something. But I do love that. I will tell you what my theme song was while I was on film since I never told Aslan. But if you remember the um, the TV show Bonanza, um, oh, yeah. oh yeah, my version of that is get it up, get it in, get it out, don't mess my hair, do. Get it up, get it in, get it out, don't mess my hair, do. That's a good one. You know, uh, sometimes listen to different music to get psyched up for different uh, movies. For instance, on training day, when I was driving into the hood every day, I put on like Lauren Hill or Chuck D or some public enemy, you know, something, and I did get into that. But like on, on, uh, on Transformers, when I'd be driving into like the Bayhem, uh, I'd put on like ACDC, Highway to Hell. Uh. So um, that was that. Then on... Uh, during National Treasure, the second National Treasure movie, uh, which was filming in, you know, I'd probably like my third or, f or my fourth or fifth film for Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, I get a call. Denzel's doing a movie called The Great Debaters. It's a low budget film that he's doing for Oprah Winfrey's company. And it's being shot in Shreveport, Louisiana. It's based on a true story uh, from the 1930s about an 
a black uh, African-American college in Texas, I think it was Wiley College, their debate team, and they, the debate team wins and wins and wins and finally goes up and debates Harvard and beats Harvard. And so it's based on a true story. And Den, and, and, and uh, Molly said, Denzel wants you to, uh, would like you to be the still photographer on the movie. And I said, oh, that's such a, you know, I was so honored by that. And I said, but I can't. I'm in the middle of doing this movie with Jerry Bruckheimer, and I can't walk away from that. So um, the next day on set, Jerry Bruckheimer himself comes up to me and says, hey, Robert, you know, Denzel called me last night, and he wants me to uh, release you for two weeks to uh, cover his film until uh, David Lee, who's Spike Lee's brother, who's a great still photographer, becomes available. And Jerry said, I'm not going to release you for two weeks, but I'll release you for one week. So I ended up going down to Shreveport, and um, my first morning on set, they're filming in an old house uh, down there. And, you know, I was used to Denzel. As I said, he's very focused in it as an actor. He doesn't socialize. He goes, does his work, goes back to his corner. And, you know, a lot of people mistake that for something else, but it's really just his focus. That's, that, that's what I'm used to. But on this movie that he's director now, you know how you're standing there? I feel a tap on my shoulder. I turn, and then there's Denzel, like, with a big smile on the other side. And as a director, he's totally kicked back, a total different, like, persona and energy than when he's acting. So that was a great, that was really a great moment, too. And also watching him direct, uh, you know, working with actors as an actor's director was something also a great thing as well. Well, I'm sure that there are many more Denzel Show stories, just like I have Nick Cage stories, but that would fill oh, yeah. up like 16 hours per day. We'd go on forever about them because they're really no kidding, are. No kidding. And the yeah. same thing with Nick Cage. I mean, he was very focused the entire time. People felt that he was a very cold person. But it's like, no, well, why isn't he talking to anybody? Well, because he's focused. He's in his character. He's thinking about what he's going right. to produce on the next yeah, uh, moment. Working. He's working. He's doing his thing. And we're not yeah, there yeah. To, uh, to hang out with him. We're not here to hang out. We're here to do a job. Well, that's what I noticed about Nick. You know, he was uh, Nicholas. He was um, he, he was also, uh, you know, there's much more to him than meets the eye or than the public persona. But he was a person who always came in, hit his marks, did his job, and he was very prepared. He always knew his lines and he was always hit his marks. And that's something to me that, you know, a lot of people don't see, but I... I recognize that. Yeah, I always found him as like a one-take actor. I mean, he just comes in, he belts it, it it's all out. And if it's yeah. uh, if the director wants another take, it's because the lighting is off or there were some sound issues or something's yeah. up with the other actor or something's wrong with a prop. But he was like yeah. dead on each and every time working with him year after year, film after oh, film. Yeah. It never stopped. So, But he was very focused and he didn't want anybody to bother him. and never bothered him, but we got along very well over those years for the same reason that you and Denzel did, because you're not in his face, you're just doing your job. Right. Well, it's the same thing. You know, Michael Bay is, has, a, has a very strong reputation as a guy who screams a lot, but, you know, his films are, are so full of energy and testosterone that I think that that's, you know, an appropriate way to be, you know, on the set. And um, I've always personally found Michael Bay, you know, like, you know, like we talked earlier about people being one way and then, you know, when you get them on one-on-one, and he's, you know, when you sit down with him as, and one-on-one, he's just like this really cool guy. Mm-hmm. I felt that. I felt like, you know, people gave him a bad rap, but I don't think they really understood it. He just wanted to get the job done, and he did care about everybody. He yeah. had a certain vision, and and he believed in himself. I remember one time uh, on, um, maybe it was on the third Transformers movie, you know, they filmed a lot of the, out. they built this whole uh you know, Middle Eastern uh, village uh, area out in the, in the New Mexico desert. And we were out there, and there's one big scene that was being covered probably by about seven movie cameras. 
big action scene with explosions in the background and soldiers running. And uh, I was standing there with my still camera, and I went uh, to, uh, you know, I, I, I needed to, like, move over a couple of steps to my left in order to get my, you know, get the still. And then all of a sudden, I realized that I was, that there was a movie camera behind me, and I'd stepped in his way. And next thing you know, you hear Michael Bay, like, da 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 who stepped in front of my, who, you ruined my shot. And I, and I just looked at him, and I said, and I said, that was me. And he just looked at me, he goes, well, don't do that again. And that was, that was it, you know. I didn't get fired. Yeah, but, he's just, he's a barker. I mean, I've heard him yeah. say that a lot of times. Who's ruining my shot? Don't ruin my shot. Get out of the way. And it's just like, who was it? Who's this? Get out of the way. Move, move, Mitch, move, move. It's just the way he works. But he gets it yeah. all done. He's got a vision. It's like, okay, you guys stand there. You guys shoot this. This is what I want. I want a 50 mil here. I want 100 there. Get it. Do yeah. it. And boom. And he's just, he's just that kind of guy. He's always yeah. in a hurry. But it works. Yeah, he he knows his he knows his stuff, and uh, even in uh, in the, again in the third Transformers, there was a whole scene in a big office building where the building tilts, you know, and it was a big set of a of a whole floor of an office building. It was built on hydraulics, so it was called the tilted building set. And the building, you know, we're all filming in there, and the building raises and everyone slides down the, you know, and it was just one of those crazy things. And Michael Bay was saying that. You know, I got the idea for that tilted building when I was doing sit-ups on an incline bench in the gym. You know, and, it, and then the next thing you know, you had that, and then then it's like a million, multi-million-dollar set with everyone working on it. So it's it's hard to say much more than that, but I'm happy that I know you. I feel very fortunate. Yeah, I know you got to go, but thank you so much for your time. This is completely enjoyable. And Robert, thank you. What are you kidding me? Thanks to Aslan who made it yes, possible. Yes. I'm going to tell you the truth. And like for all those who think that, you know, not yeah. being mobile on your feet keeps your mind not intact, you've right. proven them wrong all the way around. Oh, You're yeah. sharper now than you've ever yeah. been. Yeah, I've even had the thing where people, you know, because I'm sitting in the wheelchair, they kind of yeah. speak to you louder. <laughs> like, you know, yes, are you okay? You know, like that. <laughs> they speak to me like that when I'm standing right. up because they realize I'm, I'm like yeah. not all there. <laughs> they just look at the hair. They talk into the hair. Is what I do. Right. That's funny. Oh, my God. I love that. But, uh, okay, Robert, you got to go and have lunch. We're going to eat our lunch. If if you could just say for us, where can people find more information about it? So my my website is uh, www.robertzuckerman, R-O-B-E-R-T-Z-U-C-K-E-R-M-A-N.com. My email is robert at robertzuckerman.com. I'm on Facebook. Under my name, it's under Robert Zuckerman. And uh, Instagram, I think it's Robert G. Zuckerman. That concludes our conversation with Robert Zuckerman, one of the most respected still photographers in Hollywood. Until next time, in Robert's words, shalom. Shalom.